Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where did you come from? My name is Ruth Barry. I'm originally from Ringsend and I live in Ballyfermot now, nearly the last four years. And Ruth, we have a mutual friend who put us in contact with each other. We sure do. Jennifer Fay. Yeah. So she was like, you need to talk. And then she was at you to yeah. say, you should tell your story, Rebecca. So just full disclosure for a minute is that we have the two girls, my little one and your little one here. And they're up and down the stairs. And if we get an interruption, we get an interruption, guys. What can we do? Um, but yeah, so Jennifer is the connection. And she was saying to me, you should sit down with Ruth. And I was like, OK, so tell me a little bit at the beginning about growing up in Ringsend, how many in the family and so on. And what was that like? So I was a middle child. I had two older sisters and two younger brothers. And it, life wasn't always bad. My dad would have been violent at times. And there was a lot going on. But I had got a good life. Mm. And my mum and dad worked. My dad was a carpenter in a hotel and my mum was a chef. And my two sisters worked in the hotel as well. For me, my life changed when I was 11, nearly 11. My sister walked out the door that morning, bent over, gave me a kiss. Where my mum were having their little dispute over what colour paint to pick on the wall. And now she goes to work. She was literally gone out the door two minutes and my dad came back in the van. She was at the getting killed by an articulated lorry and my dad was three cars behind our best friend. Was in the car behind beeping. It went over once and because the bike was stuck, our clothes were stuck on the bike, it went over again. And um, it just, from that day, it changed the dynamics of our family. You know, things were never the same. My mom was eight months pregnant on my little brother and we would have been like my older sister and my sister Deborah would have been brought up like twins. So, you know, it really massively affected her. Um, I would have been closer with Rachel. Michael would have been Deborah's. Um, they would have been <laughs> so close. And uh, we used to have our little 
battles. I'd be on Rachel's team. Michael would be on Deborah's team. I always won Michael, Rachel. <laughs> Deborah always won Deborah, you know. And, um, you know, things just changed. My dad was in the pub more. Um, you know, it was like my little brother then came four weeks later and it was like, I want my sister back, you know, and as much as I loved him, I was like, you're after giving us something, that, but taking away. And I suppose I put m- my love into him and it affected me in school. It affected me behavior because I was just so angry. I mean, mom and dad tried to do um, counseling. I literally locked myself in the bathroom, put me back towards the the bedroom door and put my feet against the radiator and they were trying for a good half an hour to try and get me out and I wouldn't so they they ended up leaving me I just I couldn't speak about it it started affecting my schoolwork everything so then I eventually there was a club started in Rings End it was a triathlon and running mountain running club so my brother was in that and I started getting involved in that and throwing myself into that um, but it was still affecting me in school. Like I was acting out in school and um, fighting with people because, you know, teachers would compare you to my sister because, you know, she was just academically and physically. How old was she? 19. And your dad was behind the cars. He was in... He was actually supposed to come in to pick my mum up. We seen him coming in and he drove back out. We were like, why is he driving back out? And I never forget it because his boss drove him to the house and they knocked on the door with my mum and I was standing behind my mum. And uh, she was like, what's wrong? Because she could see the emotion in him and the boss. And she was like, is Deborah after splashing herself with oil and work? And, you know... And he's like, no, she's dead. I mean, my mum was like, no, 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 no. Um, But it ended up she wasn't even supposed to be in work that day. God. You know, she walked in the Mount Herbert and Sandy Mount. It was literally minutes from the house. Like, she literally went down the drainway, went out onto the road. And as she went on the road, he broke the lights. His mirror was um, gone on this side. And he had alcohol in his system and he got a £250 fine and appealed to. <gasps> My mum one day going to work, she used to work on the Malahide Road in the Goblet. Yeah. And my dad was giving her a lift and they pulled in and he was in the truck beside them. You know, so it majorly affected mm-hmm. her family. And... You said there the dynamic changed completely, which of course it would, but for your mum being pregnant still and then going on to have a new baby, her emotions must have been everywhere. Deborah was our firstborn, you know, she was, she was our life, you know, and it's mad because the week running up to it, um, my mum, she kept having these had visions and dreams and she was saying something is going to happen to one of my kids and she thought it was my brother Michael because he was always rambling and going over towards the the water where the pill bag is and 
Um, she kind of kept him in and was monitoring him and it ended up, it was Deborah. Like she was like, I can, I can actually physically smell death, you know, um, if you could just, I'm actually sitting here and I, and I can remember like my auntie on my dad's side, ready to give my mom a cup of tea and they wanted to put a tranquilizer in it and in order to, you know, help her control. Mm-hmm. But she was like, I'm pregnant. Don't dare do that. Like, mm-hmm. um, and there's not a day goes by that my mom doesn't speak about Deborah or my brother or, or, you know, that she doesn't come into her life. My mom still religiously goes out to the grave constantly. Um, you know, she was a, a major impact and people of Ring's End never seen so many people at a funeral in their life. There was thousands upon thousands of people at a funeral. She was just one of these bubbly, energetic characters that um, everyone loved. Um, and like my sister Rachel, she never the same after it. You know, they were, they were like chalk and cheese, but they were like a sticky plaster. Mm. And she was never the same after that. You know, it's like it, it just took part the whole way. When I heard, I tried, I went, we were living in a three-story house. I tried to fuck myself out the window and all. Um, my mom's brother and my auntie Phyllis, they were trying to pull me back in the window. I didn't know how to grasp the concept of she was never coming back. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Okay. And did the others then, with the the baby then, did they struggle with the bond with him or? Uh, Rachel was great with him. She absolutely idolised him. She kind of was taking on the mummy role and, I was actually recently looking back at pictures of when he was only a few days old and you could see, you know, the bags under her eyes and, you know, emotionless and like he's the most unbelievable person you could ever meet. Like he's 31 now, but you know. And you said then that you threw yourself into sports. Sports. I actually became... Um, female um, I won three years in, in a row I was female mountain runner three years consecutive yeah and sleeping them on I used to cycle to the mountain and then he'd make us do the mountain run Derek Morphy's from Rings End and then I got picked to go down to Mayo to do trials for the triathlon to represent Ireland and Spain. And then, you know, I just kind of, I was doing that for a good few years. I kind of just start mixing with different people and, and, you know, starting to, you know, it was Tipex and Tinners and, you know, having a little drink here and there and slowly kind of pulled away from it. Um, I mean, 
brother Michael, he was in it as well. And he used to always say to me, um, you're only winning all this because there's not many women. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, like I was only a junior, but mm. they hadn't got junior teams. So I was racing against women. Um, but it's mad now that that's what I've gone back to doing, mm. you know, so many years later. But yeah, I ended up leaving it and starting off, you know, probably smoking a joint here or, or there. And um, eventually that was affecting me in school. And I actually had a fight with someone on Halloween on the midterm. And I actually got put out of school for it and I ended up in FOSS. Did you? So in that FOSS, there was people from different areas. And, you know, you, they'd go out and they'd be in the lane smoking their weed on the break. So you're like, yeah, give us some of that. You know, I want to be part of the... Cool you know, guy. Yeah. So you kind of started that and then... I kind of start venturing into town and going into the rave scene at a young age. Really? At a very young age. Now, I would often go back to parties with people and they would be smoking heroin, but I didn't for a long, long time with them. Um, I suppose as the saying goes, if you sit in a barbershop long, long enough, you're going to get your hair cut. Mm-hmm. And that's eventually what did happen, but... It took years. Um, I started. Take me back for a second. What was going on with your mum and dad at this time? And were they watching you and keeping an eye on you? Or was your ma like saying, what's going on, Ruth? You know what I mean? Um, well, a year after Deborah died, my mum and dad's mum and, mm-hmm. and dad split up. And my dad started a new relationship uh, with someone else then eventually my mom was in a relationship with someone else and I just I don't think I could even though you know in a way I was kind of like well I'm not going to get beaten anymore and and then I was like but yeah you still missed that because I would have been a daddy's girl you know um, it's, my mom was always walking and I just think it took her so long with the grieving process. And my mom's mom died nine, ten months before Deborah died. So within two and a half years, we lost my nanny, Deborah, and my dad was gone. And then there was contact with my dad for a few months after that. But then after that, there was none. And it was like we lost whole one side of the family, mm. you know, because we hadn't really got contact with the rest of them then. Um, so it was kind of like you were isolated away from everyone to deal with your dad not being there, to deal with your sister not being there. So, um, How did you deal with it in that moment? Were you just this way, the bad behaviours in school and I all acted, came in? I acted out. Mm-hmm. Um, I acted out at home with my mom. I was going out. I was getting, my God, <laughs> I was getting out the three-story bedroom window, hanging down and dropping onto the 
um, where the sitting room goes out onto the roof there. And then I dropped down off that. And sometimes I wouldn't come back for a day or two. And then I come back, sometimes I come back in the middle of the night and I'd be ringing the bell or, or sometimes I'd, I'd open the weather glazed door and get in. I used to put my hand through the letterbox and open the handle and I'd sleep in there just in order for them not to wake up, you know, and that was at the age of 16. Um, but and Rachel at this point, where is Rachel? Um... She had moved out, I think, at that stage. She had her own place in Pier Street. So she's not there giving out to yeah. you and telling you what, what's what now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have had a great relationship with Rachel or mm-hmm. I would have sometimes went in and stayed with Rachel. Um, and then did that hurt your relationship with your mother? going forward but then is that relationship now back on track or um, it did damage the relationship with my mum but I do understand that you know she was grieving and a lot of stuff was happening sometimes you just wanted that hug you know yeah she did she has been there to support me through some of my darkest moments. But sometimes it's not the right support. Um, and she will do anything. She's amazing and goes to the ends of the earth from my kids. And that's another story for when we get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um but that's something that I'm working on healing at the moment because I have got mother and father issues, you know, unresolved things that never really get spoken about. Yeah, I get that. Completely get that. And then tell me then, you said there that you then went into, was it harder drugs then that you went into? That, um took a while like uh, I was in around town and hanging around like the likes of sides and and all that and I took an ecstasy tablet my god I, I thought I was going to die I honestly thought I was going to die like uh, that I was losing my breathing and everything the first time I took it um but it didn't stop me from taking it again um and is this peer pressure or is this just you trying to find a release or trying to, you know, an escape? I don't know if it was a release or acceptance or, you know, or peer pe- pressure, call it what you want. I still went out and, and done it. For me, it's personal choice and you don't have to go down that road. But I, I chose to. And it took up a good 15, 16 years of my life. You know, and so many different traumatic experiences during that. Um, and I start after there, hanging around in town, like I met one or two that 
lived in Sheriff Street. There was always kind of a thing where it rings in in Sheriff Street and, <laughs> you know, so it was like going over there, I was shitting bricks <laughs> because <laughs> you're like, um, oh, I hope I'm not going to get dived on. But I ended up meeting a lad and going out with him for a while and getting up to no good, being in Rob cars with the fellas and, and going down the keys, robbing the containers, squatting on lorries like, like a tick, like mm. the only girl um, with them squatting on the lorries. But then like there was one or two other girls. I met some amazing friends. That's where I would have known Jennifer at first. She would have mm. known me in my addiction. Like her, her family would have known me through addiction. And I went out with that lad for a few years and then I met another lad from down there and I had two of my kids with him, but that was also violent. And, um, don't tell me about that. I got many a beaten when I was pregnant on my first and ended up in hospital once or twice because of it. I ended up on heroin just after I had my first and I used to have her in the harness and many people witnessed this. I used to have her in the harness and he physically got me down on the ground while she was in the harness and dragging me and kicking and punching me. And for years I tried to get away from him and I couldn't. And I forgive him now for what he has done. Um, Like my daughter has a great relationship with him. My son doesn't. Um, And she has a great relationship with his family. They're, They're great, like... Um, she always would have had a good relationship with them. Was he on heroin too? Yeah. And I would have fed his habit. And, you know, you kind of would have been forced uptown to go shoplifting in order to feed both yours and his habit. And that was, sometimes he'd watch. Or sometimes he'd be like, you can bring our fucking with you. like, And, and that's the thing when it comes to drugs. You don't care. You're, you're not putting your priorities force what you should be. You know, the drug becomes number one priority rather than your children, you. And, um, you know, I got to the point where my mom couldn't tolerate the drug use and she put me out of the house when my daughter was 18 months old. I had nowhere to go. And my sister was only in a one-bedroom flat with two kids and a partner. Um, and it was tiny. And I left my daughter with him on some nights and he used to throw out a duvet and a pillow when I'd sleep in his ma's back shed. You know, um, and then there was a place down on the keys. And it was a warehouse and up on top of it, there was like an abandoned apartment. I was that terrified to go into hostels that I got into that and stayed there with her for three months. 
you know, there was a lad from Sheriff Street. He actually recently texted me and reminded me of this. He was only 15 and his mum trun him out and he stayed there with me. I actually had to leave because my partner at the time came up and bet me around. And I actually then went to a hostel up near Richmond Court. And I couldn't stay there, you know, so I started looking for landlords places and I ended up getting one on several places and I was there for a while, but my addiction was just getting so bad and I ended up on Eamon Street Clinic. clinic. And, you know, it was just one thing after another. The cycle of going to town shoplifting, coming back, selling the stuff, going, getting drugs. You know, I wasn't even existing. This is the question that I have. Are you existing? And even when you're getting the beatings and stuff like that, and I hate even saying stuff like that, like getting the beatings and going into, and you have a baby. Does nothing else exist, only the drugs in that moment? You still have the love for your child, like, mm. of course that exists. Mm. Um, you still have them moments, you're st- still, like, being a mother. Um, it got to the point where I wasn't taking drugs to get stoned. I was taking drugs to take the pain away, to take their makes away, to take the mental pain away. Um, because... At that point in my life, I thought that I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't able. I hadn't got the mental capacity to deal with with life um, and the situations that I had given me. Um, and then I ended up, people had moved into that house and there was other drug addicts living in it and you know, they were all in the halls and I was like, I have to get out of this house. So I ended up moving to um, to Eastwall. And I just was trying so hard to get away from my ex because you'd wake up in the middle of the night and he's forcing himself upon you. Like you'd be asleep and he's trying to have sex with you. Like, And for a long time, it wasn't a relationship, but I didn't want to be with him. I ended up getting pregnant then on my second and I ended up getting them out after a month of being pregnant. And I remember being in a car with someone and he jumped on the bonnet to try and drag me and my daughter out of the car. Like, So eventually then I got back with the lad that I was with before him. And... Uh, He would have been my first love. Um, and he's the father to my son. And that's another traumatic experience. Um, we got back together. He was there for my other son when he was a baby. And my son was only six months pregnant. I was six months pregnant. He was six months old and I got pregnant again. Um, 
but then he got locked up for a bit. Okay. And when my son was born, he was born with a lot of different respiratory okay. um, problems, they said, because I had the bar in my arm and the hormones off the bar. Um, when Tyg was a few hours old, he, I turned around and he was black in the car. He was dead, like. Um, so I'm running with him and trying to ring my mom and running out into the hallway. Um, they just whipped him off me and like they were like code red, code red, code, or whatever they were saying. I can't even. And I just dropped the phone and my mom's like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And it felt like hours they were gone and I kept asking them, where is he, where is he, where is he? Um, so then I just got sick of it and went up. And they said, we're after bringing him back. He's in ICU and you can come in and see him now. There's just tubes hanging from everywhere. Um, he was still blue. They didn't know what was wrong with him. And... They were putting a feeding tube up one nose, one nostril. And, you know, oxygen on them. And it was only then I realised that when they told me that newborn babies can't breathe through their mouth, they breathe through their nose. It was only when he was 11 days old, he kept stopping breathing, having bradycardiac blue episodes. And they were like, this is very rare. It could happen from withdrawals from methadone. Um, but it wasn't, he had a thing called coanal atresia. It's a blockage on the nose. It's very rare. So cartilage grows up the nose. So with them forcing a feeding tube up this nostril, it, it was stopping him from breathing. But he also had another rare one called H-type fistula. So there's two tubes and one was crossing to the other. So every time his food was going down, it was drowning his lungs. Um, and then he had tracheomalacia, a floppy windpipe. So it took them, they noticed one of them and he was in hospital till he was six weeks. He got home, he was home for my daughter's communion and he's only home a day or two in the sitting room. He went grey and stopped breathing again. So I'm after skipping it just before okay. he... Got out of hospital, his dad got a day out to visit him, the nun brought him down, he's seen him. And he ran from the hospital, <laughs> from the nun, yeah. Uh, but he was then later caught, a day or two later, <laughs> hiding under a car in the cemetery. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but I was glad he got to see him. And uh, Do they treat you differently in the hospital because of the drugs? Or do they treat you like a, a mother, a new, like a, like, do you know what I'm trying to say? I do understand why sometimes they treat it. So if you're given dirty urines, if you're, like, if you're clean, you know, they're not going to have the same approach if you're constantly taking drugs, you know, and then you have the likes of social workers in the hospital as well. But generally, I, I had a male, Justin, and he was actually lovely. And, and then there was another, Marion. 
And I actually still have contact with her to this day. You know, she done a lecture and she brought me up in the lecture of, you know, me coming in. I was a little fucker (laughs) to me now, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and that my daughter actually works Mm -hmm. in the hospitals now. Um, So take me back to Tyke then and you have him home two days and he. Yeah. So he stopped breathing again and got an ambulance. It was actually the fire brigade that came. Um, Ambulance couldn't come for so they actually walked on him and they brought him back and he was brought to Temple Street where he was there for months and he actually we had to get him christened there because they were the surgery that he got the equipment was only brought into this country and they had never used it before Um, you know it's like um, a tracker, uh, a scanning thing that goes around your head. Um, with the coenal atresia, there's three, it's either blindness, deafness or heart defect. Okay. Tig was one in a billion that didn't get any of them. You know, so it was constant time away from the other two kids being up in the hospital dropping one to crash and school and I moved back to my mom's mm. um, and she was helping and you know constantly up in the hospital and then he got out and I was living in East Wall um, with Stevie and he actually he idolised him idolised him he was only 11 months old when Stevie died. And to this day, I regret Stevie got put into custody and there was bail on him and I paid the bail to get him out. And within a week, he was killed. As he lay asleep on a sofa, he was shot and dead. Oh my God. Yeah. Were you there? No, I wasn't there. He left my house. That, it was actually on his birthday. It was actually Stevens's day. He came into the world on a Stevens's day and left the world on a Stevens's day. Um, God. His, uh, there was actually someone that was at the being in the house with him having a drink that day. That evening, someone that he knew, and he was the type of person that wouldn't harm a fly. You know, the most generous, kind-hearted soul that you would ever come across, and it wasn't supposed to be for him. But this is the kind of thing what happens when when people are involved in drugs and money and feuds. The innocent end up getting caught in the crossfire and you know even though my son was only 11 months old it still affects him to this day you know he goes on about his dad as if you know he he's still here with him and 
his dad's family keep the memory alive and they are really good to him. You know, they bring him on holidays and everything, but I remember getting the call off one of Stevie's friends and he was like, is Stevie with you? And I was like, no, I'm just, um, after leaving him, he left my house that day and he was actually, I was just on my methadone. I wasn't taking anything else and he was dying sick and he left and got a taxi and his friend brought the taxi down to the house and dropped him to the house and at seven o'clock that evening I went over and um, gave him birthday cards and runners and tracksuit and he had them on him and like I never forget I, I fell to my knees when I heard and I was literally there in two minutes and I remember his brother and all trying to get into the house and the police there and you could just see him lifeless lying on the sofa as you looked in the front door and I had tiger in my arms and he didn't deserve that he just didn't deserve it but then you had the taunting from the person that did it you know he went in the shop and I blew his head open like a melon and you know I couldn't be around that area anymore I kind of slowly stopped being around there but before I did um, it was a few years later like my kids went to school down there the fella that killed my partner I was standing at the crash when he was shot um, my initial reaction was you deserved it you know and I did scream you deserved it but also I was in shock at seeing that and now today I'm like his mother or his siblings didn't deserve that the same way as my partner. They didn't deserve that. You know, no one should deserve to die that way. Nobody, regardless of what you do. You know, that's so many people lost their lives through that feud. Mm. Innocent people. My partner being one of them. Tiger's just blessed he has people that keep his dad's memory alive. You know, his brother Gary is just amazing to him. And his sister, like, they just, they do everything for him. How did, did you then move out of the area? Because obviously everywhere you turned, it was memories or it was meeting the people who did it. Like, how did you get yourself out of it? I was living in the East Wall and I kind of stopped kind of going into that area and then eventually down the not lying um, I met Ella's dad um, but there was a whole different like I I went to prison okay um, tr- 
through me going to prison, my incident happened within days of that fella being shot. So cards put pressure on me by saying, if you tell us who did it, we will let your charge go away. But if you don't, we will make sure you get the maximum sentence on it. Um, Do you want to tell me what the incident was? It was an assault charge. Okay. Um, I happened on O'Connell Street. It's not something that I'm proud of, but happened. And I was with my partner at the time. And he was in McDonald's, I was in McDonald's. And a girl hit off me. And I suppose I went out then, there was three of them, and where I could have just left it at that. I went out and approached her and, you know, slammed the taxi door because they were trying to get in the taxi and, you know, kind of demanding that she apologised because I felt wrong done by and, yeah, I was on tablets. Um, but then it got very heated and my partner came out and seen the, the male hitting me and he literally gave one box and he got four years for that. Um But it was an incident that shouldn't have happened. You know, I don't know, I was, I suppose I was like a, a caged animal fighting the three of them. And this is the repercussions of taking drugs and letting your anger take control of your life. Um... How long did you go away for? I got seven years, 18 months suspended, so um, five and a half to do. What was that like having to well, get kids? I was found guilty. Um, the kids were with my mum through mm-hmm. taking drugs. Um, social services were involved. So the... Um, at the... Skipping a big part. Take it back, it's okay. Um, before I went to prison, I had a stillborn. Um, Ellie was her name. Ella's little sister. Um, and she was telling your husband when she came in for Um um, what did that do to you? It destroyed me. And to this day, I still haven't really dealt with our death properly. I kind of just pushed it to the side and I can't even bring myself to go to the grave. Um, like having to give birth to or having to know that you know, you're never going to see her growing up. Knowing that you're never going to experience any memories of her. And seeing her going down in a box. Take your time. 
want to take a break? I just became so angry at life, angry at the world. And, uh, like, I was going into the same doctor for 10 weeks, having pains and bleeding. He just kept sending me home and I felt in my own body, I knew there was something wrong. Then the water's broken, there was loads of blood in the house. And I don't know, when I was in hospital, I missed a court date with Tulsa with my kids and they put in an order from my kids while I was in the hospital because I missed the court date. While I was in hospital, after giving birth to a stillborn. And I suppose I just became so angry at everyone in the world. And it's like that day I just lost everything. Take your time. Take your time. Hard, so hard. I don't know how. I don't even have sports for you to be honest with. And it's mad because I told you I done that thing, the fire and ice, and it came up for me. And I suppose this is feeling like it's a release from talking about it because I normally just put it to the side. Let's take a break for a second. Come on. So we just took a break there for a second. Um, I've no words for you. I, I've no words for you at all, you know. Um, and I just said there where you were to the person you are. We will get on to what you've done now. Um, when Ellie passed, were you were you still on methadone then? or I wasn't in active addiction, but I was on methadone. Like I wasn't using other substances. Um, and is that the phrase am I being offensive to you by saying that you're in is, is it that you're in active addiction are they the words should I be using proper words with you no no okay no. <laughs> I just don't I got I was still on methadone so I, I was still in addiction mm. but I wasn't using to the extent I was before I had her and When Ellie died, I kind of stopped using, Um, but still on my methadone and then I was on takeaways and... What's takeaways? So I'd have to go to the clinic, it's like, first it'd be, you'd only have to go a set amount of days, not every day. So you'd start off with weekend takeaways and then the more clean urines you gave the less you had to go. Okay. So then it was once a week, once every two weeks then, um, where I had cut myself down on the methadone. Um, but then I had that charge. And so the kids ever did, did when Tulsa, Tulsa, I can never say that word, Tulsa, Tulsa when they made that 
point was it that they go to the kids go to your ma's or yeah. did they take them somewhere else? No, they were with my mom. Okay. Um so my case was going through the courts and I suppose they were slowly with my mum, you know, weekends, mm. this and that. Tyg was actually with his dad's family. So my mum had the eldest two uh, and then Tyg was with them because, you know, she had to get used to bringing them to school. Mm. She had to get used to being able to go to work and look after kids. But then eventually, after a few months, Tyg went with my mum as well. So she had to trade him. Uh, my house in East Wall, it was, the lease was up. So there was no point mm. on signing another lease because the judge had found me guilty and was giving me eight weeks grace in order to sort what I needed to sort out with the kids and then come up and, and get the sentence. Um, what is that like? What is it like when you're being handed down a sentence like that? In them eight weeks, I started just being erratic on drugs. Really? And taking everything. And just blocking everything out because I knew I was going away for a while. And the thoughts of being somewhere where you can't be with your kids, you can't be with your family. And just the loss of your freedom. Um, I just delved into addiction further and further and further. So I gave the house up and I moved to Fingless to my sister's um, with my partner. And I just, the time came to get sentenced and I just put a load of drugs on my person mm. and brought them into drug into prison with me. And um, when I got the sentence, suitcase and all to the court <laughs> because I didn't know what to expect. Mm. I don't remember my first few weeks in Do prison. You know? No, because I was that high on drugs. And one of the officers actually came to me then when the drugs were kind of gone. He's like, I seriously thought was something wrong with you because he said you were standing in the yard one day and you just kind of leaned over and fell asleep on the bush like I was that fighting in prison thrown up to the nets to get drugs and you know oh, it was just I was a disaster not going to the school Fighting my officers, getting locked back, getting put on punishment. I actually got sent to Limerick Prison. And that's a whole different prison. Is who so where were you sent? And then first I was sent to the Doka Centre in Mount Joy. Okay. And I wasn't there long. I think I was there two, three months and I got sent to Limerick. Where in the Docus when they opened the doors in the morning, you're able to go freely until they locked them down at half seven in the evening, where in Limerick, you're out, you come out and get your breakfast and then you're going back in and then you're let out for a little while and there's literally a room for recreation and a little tiny yard. Um, Because I was down on punishment, 
And the time I was down there was during the summer that wasn't school. Um, so it's literally most of the time in your cell. So I was down there for a month. Are you in a cell by yourself? Like, explain it to me. Are you, or are you in a cell with other people? When I went in there first, I, I shared, well, you go up into healthcare overnight and they assess you and, you know, and then put you down into the population. Mm. And, um, Were you afraid? The drugs blocked all that out at first. Okay. But then when they kind of wore up, off. Um, I suppose, you know, it was a fear. I did cry myself to sleep a lot. You know, you'd get off the phone to your kids or, you know, there'd be things going on with the kids that you can't help them with. You're missing them waking up Christmas morning. You're missing birthdays. Or if they're sick, you're not there to hold them and just missing so much of their life. And then them being slagged because your mum's in prison and your mum's a, a junkie, as other kids would call it. And, you know, the effects I had on them because of my actions. Um, that was hard for me to deal with, knowing that I put all that on them. But I have dealt with that. And so when I came back from Limerick, I kind of sent myself in the cell and I was like, what do you want? What do you want from life? You know, are you going to continue to sit around the tables in the prison and thrown up at nets and taking drugs and, or are you going to change your life? Are you going to... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Make something of yourself. So I then decided to come off my methadone and get stuck into school and the gym and do every course available to me. Um, once the officers kind of seen you doing that, you know, they were supporting you and guiding you along the right road. And I then got moved from the little yard up to the big yard and, you know, you walk your way around. And then I got stuck into doing the fitness in there and I then eventually got put up into the trustee part. It's the new part, the Willows. And you don't get locked back. Okay. You know, um, the rooms are massive and you have, like, I don't want to make it sound like a holiday camp because mm. it, that's not what it is. Mm. Um, but, but it took you a long time to get there. Or it took me a long time to walk yeah. my way around. Mm-hmm. Um and I became calmer. I done anger management. I done counselling. I done whatever it took. You know, and my family seen the difference. They seen the change. Um, I was doing amazing in, in school. And then I start. Um, my daughter was ashamed, embarrassed coming up and, you know, so she stopped coming up for a while and that was hard because you only get a certain amount of calls and, you know, who do you, you ring, like, if you want to ring your family or if you want to ring your kids and, you know, I kind of felt isolated there because people move on with their life, people have their own lives um, I just felt as if I was on my own even though my mum was a great support she brought the kids up all the time you know it's just a lonely lonely place to be in there um, you know, I did make amazing friends who I'm still in contact with to this day and they would have been people that were never on drugs Um that just got themselves in situations that they, they shouldn't have. And the governor has seen so much potential in me and, you know, she walked our arse off to help me. And I got a First it was like I got out to the waiting area to see the kids and it was one of the kids' birthdays so I could have cake there and sit with them for two hours out there and play games because some of the visits when it was inside, you weren't allowed to hug your kids. Your boss sweets in the shop, you weren't allowed to hand them to your kids. You had to give them to the officer or if I was in the leatherwork class or the, the glass making class and I if I made a mirror or a belt you couldn't hand them to your kids. You know, it was all through the officers. 
And I do understand that that's their job. And people are passing stuff on visits. So, you know, they have to be observant to that. You know, it's, it's not one rule for you and another for someone because you're doing well. Mm. Um, but eventually then I start getting overnight out and spending time with my kids. And What was your first one like? My first nervous? day out was for my son's communion. Okay. And I was terrified. You know, I got ready, Courtney, and my mum picked me clothes out and um, one of the girls done me makeup and the one was doing my hair and I just, I was petrified sitting beside people and... and you know, just in case people approach me and, you know, asking you questions. I, I don't know. I was afraid to be in crowds because you are so long being in the environment you are in. And it's like being under a microfine glass. Um, and then my mom had to drop me back and it was like, having that few hours with the kids was so special that I was able to be at his, his communion um, because he hadn't got his dad, you know. So him knowing that I was there was special for him and me. Um, so then when they seen that that went well, then down the line... I got, um, I can't think of father or something. I can't think of his name. It's on Angel Street. Okay. And I got a day out to there. An officer brought me and I was able to spend the day there with the kids. And there was a little kitchen and I got to do things with, with them there and my mom. And, and then eventually it walked towards getting an overnight and, it's hard going back you know and then you're applying for days out and sometimes you don't get it and then when you do it's like oh my god I'm not again I'm getting out to go with my kids and I can do normal stuff and and then you'd have people in there like how is she getting it and I'm not and um I suppose different circumstances and I just worked so damn hard, damn hard to change my life and I done like the steps to excellence I done reduce the use I done so many different any course that came up to do growth work I done it um, the governor and the chief would have people come into the prison like he'd get social workers or people that wanted to be counsellors or drug addiction and she would bring them in to speak to me and you know tell them where I was at and what I am now but then that all kind of got a bit fucked up for me because I got a weekend out on Ella's dad was just at the getting out. 
and they don't tell you in prison when you get out on your TR phone that you can't have sexual intercourse. Okay. And I did. So I was actually on a medication at the time and I went out and did and I came back pregnant, but I was six and a half weeks and I miscarried. So I told the governor <coughs> and it's just so hard because you don't, I don't know about now, but at that time you hadn't got the services in order to help you deal with that. You know, you were sitting in your room, bleeding, in pain, and you had to wait till the next day in order for them to get you an appointment in the hospital and bring you to the hospital because it has to go through IPS to pass you to go out. Okay. Um, and that was hard because I wasn't allowed to tell anybody, you know. Yeah. Um, me, my partner and the governor and that knew. Um, Did you get punished for that? For not it? for that one. Okay. But then I think it was 16 weeks later, I got out for a weekend and I got pregnant again. And that was on Ella. Okay. And I hit it. I told one girl in there and I hit it three months, start bleeding. Enough so that I got on with, I went over and told her because I was panicking and she rang down for healthcare and they went, I went in and what's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm pregnant and I'm bleeding. So they rang the governor straight away and I was brought to the hospital later that evening and everything was okay, thank God. And when you're brought to the hospital route, what is that like? Is it, are you brought through with officers with you? And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hospital appointments, you're brought through with officers. So like the officers are sitting in the room and that day that I was brought to the hospital, there was two officers with me and it was a male and a female and the female demanded to be in the room when... They, you know, had me stripped down and um, the midwife actually asked her to leave and she was like, no. And the midwife said, there's no windows or doors, you know, mm. there's only one way in, one way out and you're standing there. Um, I remember it because it was quarter past five in the evening. And... Then <sighs> when I was brought back to the to the prison like everyone knew because officers do tell prisoners mm. you know so everyone whispering and so I, I was shitting because then the next morning um, I had people pull me and you know wrote it in the papers <gasps> the governor caught me in and you know gave out to me and she said, I think you need to ring your mum. It's all over the paper. And I rang my mum. She told me to fuck off. She didn't want that to do with me. My daughter was in the Gale Talks at the time and she was like, how can you do this? You haven't even got your other three kids. You're in prison away from them and you're having another one. You know, everything you've worked so hard for is gone now. 
And for months they didn't speak to me. Um, now, Ella's dad was released at the time, so I had him there for support. And um, But where I was getting days out, they stopped that. Um, hospital appointments. I was bleeding on and off on Ella and because of previous, I've had a few miscarriages and because of Ellie's death, um, they monitored me. So I had to go to the hospital every day, twice a day, once in the morning to get tracing done and then the afternoon for um, scans. And the officers were coming with me. So they hadn't got the staff to keep doing that. So they eventually then let me go myself, but the rules were you weren't allowed to have Ella's dad there with you. You weren't allowed to have contact with you, pressurising me to finish with him. And Was there resentment from the officers that they were bringing you off to do this, do you think? They changed with me after that. Did they? Hmm. You know, there's many men that get out and their wives get pregnant it doesn't happen with women, you know, and the thing that they need to offer is contraception or put in a don't have sexual intercourse when you're getting a day out. Mm-hmm. Um, got to the point where it's sad to say this, but I didn't want to be pregnant. I didn't want her. And I was like, I just want my kids. I want my mom back. I, I was like, I don't want to be pregnant. Uh, just felt so lonely and abandoned and it kind of, I cried an awful lot um, because I lost my college course. I was getting out to go to college and that all stopped. Um, I got on to my solicitor and he got on to them because they're not allowed use that against you. Okay. You know, I didn't break any of my TR, the rules that I was given. So then I start getting things back. Um, and then I came to the decision that I'm not bringing Ella into this prison. Okay. I'm not having her in here where there's paedophiles in the same yard and once you have her there, that's on her birth cert. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. So I told him that I was signing her out to her dad. They were like, no, you're not doing that. You need to bond with your child. And I was like, I can't bring her back here. I can't. Oh, it's hard enough for an adult to be in there. Um, I just... I didn't want our siblings to have to come up and see who are in a prison. Um, but before, I think it was about seven months, then I start back talking to my mom and, and that, and, uh, you know, my daughter started looking forward to the pregnancy one day I was out in the yard and the chief came over to me and he said uh, you're going home tomorrow 
and it was two weeks before I was due well and I was like you're messing with me <laughs> he was like I'm not you're going home but we have a place for you to go I literally got out there with not a penny not a baby grow two weeks before I was three weeks before I was due well had her a week early and they brought me down to it they, the rules of my TR was that I had to stay in this emergency accommodation I walked into it it was in Summerhill they brought me into it there was bars on the windows I just wanted to go back to prison I didn't want to be there um, and the officer that brought me down that was the one that I told that I, you know I was bleeding um, I got on my horn pretty well and um, she was like oh my god how can they put you here it was just the basement one that I was in um, and I was there for two years uh, with Ella for the first few months I couldn't even go outside the door um, interaction with people was hard adjusting back to life was hard um, I was able to do things with Ella. I didn't get to do with my other kids. Like I breastfed her. Um, I don't think it's totally different with her. Um, I just spent the time giving her my full attention. Plus the other kids. And it kind of brought the bond closer. And I believe she's my saving grace. <laughs> I honestly do. She was sent for me for a reason because she wasn't here. I'd probably be back on drugs. Like I tried to commit suicide in prison and all. I cut my wrists and everything. Because I couldn't cope with not having that interaction with my kids when I was pregnant on Ella. And, uh, was your mum and Ella's dad allowed in that place or was that part of the rules that he was You were only allowed, allowed have a uh, Five visitors. Ella's dad was one. My mum was another. My oldest daughter um, was another. And my two boys. And stupid question, but is there someone watching you? Like, is it, uh, yeah, there's staff there, but um, like, I didn't like it's in a, a supported accommodation run by DePaul. And you know, you would have night staff and then you would have other staff. Um, but I didn't really engage with them that much because where the support, they would be there to help you fill out medical forms. I could do that for myself. Mm. I, Ella was nine months old. I applied for college. I went back to Crumlin College uh, to do sports, fitness and nutrition. And I got her into a crash. Just with that nine months, and you said the day that she saved you, it must be a bond like nothing else. And I know the bond day is with all children. I, I totally get that. But the fact that you could do just you and her on your own must have just felt totally... Because I had guilt as well with Ella because... The pregnancy, I I was like, I don't want this child. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. And I think it was fear because of what happened to Ellie. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I bled a good bit on Ella as well. 
kind of in me, the back of my mind, I was waiting for it to be the same situation as Ellie to be told that she wasn't breathing. And cause that's what, when I went in on the scan, I could see Ellie's head back like that. And the doctor said, oh, hold on till I guess someone else. And I was like, there's something wrong, isn't there? And he wouldn't tell me. Um, oh. And then before you tell, talk to me through about your college and stuff like that, is there, just a question, is there women in prison having babies in prison? Is there babies in prison? There's a mother and baby owner. It's Phoenix House. Okay. Um, I was up in the Willows and then when they found out I was pregnant, I was put down from that. And I felt as if I was being punished, mm. you know, but I was put down into the mother and baby unit and there was one girl in there with her son at the time. And, um, you know, the officers, when they'd come around at night to do their check, you know, she had the baby in the bed. She was giving out to and she got into trouble and they'd be threatening with Tulsa and, and I'd say to them, well, when I have my baby, you won't be telling me all my kids were in the bed with me. You know, um, I was terrified to have her in there. I just didn't want it. Mm. Thank God you didn't. Oh, I was blessed. And then tell me about, you went on back to Crumlin College and what did you study? I done sports, fitness and nutrition in Crumlin College. Um, because I've always had a love for sports and I absolutely loved it, but it was hard. It was hard um, studying and looking after Ella and being in the emergency accommodation and, you know, because there was always something in it. If people weren't fighting, your clothes were getting robbed in, from the washroom and, you know, they do checks and, They'd go in and they'd route around your room and I had to pull them up many a time. You know, what are you looking in the knicker drawer for? And I actually had an incident where one of the staff, now he actually got sacked because he'd done it on two or three different females, um, came in and pulled the covers off you when you were in bed at night. You know, there was an ongoing investigation into him. And he actually was private texting on oh my God. Messenger and took your details from your file and texted you on your phone. You know, so you think you're safe in these places and it's not always oh the case. Yet there, there was an ongoing um, case and one of the girls out there actually got removed and got housed because of him. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You think as you said you're in safe in those places. Yeah. And there's predators everywhere. Yeah. Oh my God. Um so you know, they were kind of suggesting certain things for me and then I just came back to them. I said, I, I applied for college, I'm starting and they were like, Oh, you done that yourself? And they kept saying to me, Um, you need to move on somewhere else because this isn't for you. You can support yourself. Why were you ever put in supported housing? Um, you're independent. You can stand on your own two feet. Now, in there, you had to pay rent every week. Okay. 45 euro. You had an ESB bill as well. 
which I think in most homeless accommodations, I think that should be across the board because it then prepares you for when you do get your own place. Mm. Um, well, for me, it did. Mm. Um, I was volunteering with the homeless at that stage with Tiglin because in my addiction, they would have been really, really supportive to me. Um, Aubrey McCarthy, he would have been very supportive. And um, even through the emergency accommodation. So I gave back to them by working under no books bus. And uh, I was doing that, I was doing college. I was walking out in the gym. Well, I was lucky that I could walk out in the gym through college as well mm. and uh, through my work experience. And it was also lifeguarding and aqua aerobics and um, and then it was building the trust back up with the kids because, you know, it's like you can stay clean in prison, but can you mm. do that when you get out? And I honestly believe if Ella wasn't here today, if I never got pregnant on her, I would be back to where I was. Would you? Yeah. Um, it's hard because I had to cut ties with people and a relationship I was in in order to stay clean, in order to stay, save Ella. And I had to make hard decisions. Um, I constantly hounded the corporation, emails, calls every day for the six months. But where I wanted rings in and city centre, it's so sought after. So my brother said, move out. That's where you knew that your old life, that's not you now. Um. I had made um, contact with my dad. I forgot to say that. When I was out on a day out, I hadn't had a relationship with him in 20 years. Um, through addiction, through family stuff, whatever had gone on. Um, he had two other girls. And... The older one, I would have been in contact with her on and off through our teenage years up. And she would have came up and visited me. And so I rang her and I said, and my dad there when I got out. And I got on the phone for to him because my family hid from me that my dad was dying mm-hmm. of cancer. And... They didn't want to tell me in prison because mm. they didn't know what way it'd affect me. Mm. So I got on the phone to him and I told him that I loved him and I forgave him for everything and I never stopped loving him. That just, I got so used to not having him in my life that it became normal. And he told me the same and he told me that Throughout my life, he had been checking in and my sister had been given photographs. And like he met my oldest as a baby at Roshan's christening, my sister. 
and then never met them again. And um, I kept contact with him then. And I went up and visited him in the hospital, brought Ella up. And now of all these grandchildren, she was the only one he ever got a birthday card off. And um, she still talks to him about him to this day. Like she met him a few times. And um, it's mad because I actually feel closer in death with him than I do in life. Because through my Reiki and I made contact with him and when he died, he it brought all of us, my siblings and my other two sisters together in a room that he had never experienced. Like they were giving him his last rites on the tour to December, but he didn't die until the tour to January. Okay. And um he had so many different cancers and um, like it brought us a relationship with his wife then and I made a promise to him that I would always be there for the girls and um, we have a good relationship um, with his daughters and with his wife Ella adores the whole three of them and my nephew Um. They're always there to support me in the running and and adventure. Did your dad talk about Deborah at the end of his life? No, not really, no. Mm. Once. um, But he would have kind of... I suppose when you're not in someone's life for so long, you're not going to, he was after having a stroke. So his speech wasn't good. He had throat cancer or tongue cancer, you know, and also you couldn't really understand a lot of what he was saying. You know, um, we snuck Ella into the hospital one time and he was in a room on his own and he was playing little games, whatever she couldn't understand what he was saying. And, uh, Roisin was there and his wife I know it was Katie actually um, and she remembers that to the day you now she just always say see this bright star in the sky that's my grandma mm-hmm. and he follows me around and even though she only met him you know before his death it, like she still always speaks about him I think kids see things differently. They just feel things differently and it's lovely. But I went to a medium and in my cousin's house and he came in and he spoke about Deborah then. And he spoke about different childhood memories with me and how sorry he was and how much he loved me and how proud he was, you know, that meant a lot. To know that he was proud and he got to see me change my life around. And I'm so happy and blessed to have the two girls in my life as well. 
Um, I love the relationship I have with him. You know, and very good to Ella. Um, you know, I feel as if his death brought me back closer with his family. Like my aunties and my cousin, like one of his sisters, I have a great relationship with her. She's very good to Ella. Um, and my cousin Ashlyn, like she's a Reiki master as well. Like I talk to her every single day. Um, and I believe his death brought us all back together. Like, sorry. That's okay. Tell me about your Reiki and what, how you, why you got into it and what that does for you now. Well, my mum would have been a Reiki healer. Okay. Um, and, uh, what is Reiki? For anyone who doesn't know what Reiki is, what is Reiki? It's energy healing. Okay. Um, it's healing with the hands. I'm doing this with the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just unbelievable that a person can help heal, activate other people's healing in their body and also heal themselves. Um, my mom would have been a Reiki healer and had an angel room and then through having my kids there and that all kind of went. Mm. Uh, like my mom would have had cancer and she believes that through Reiki and the Vile Fire that she helped heal herself. Um, my mom has some amazing experiences psychically. And um, as I said to you about the feeling of losing one of her kids and she had the same with her brother when he died Christmas day. Um, but for me, it was just over two years ago. Um, I've always kind of been drawn to it. My mom, like about 20 years ago, would have gave me crystals and rose quartz and amethyst. And I've always kind of had them and angel cards I have years through watching my mom do it and um, guidance from her and reading. She's in abundance of books and reading all her stuff. Um, so Courtney actually bought it for me for my birthday um, I went down and done it in Betty's town um, with Denise she's a grand Reiki master and just the experiences in it and what it does for you in life um, but then COVID hit and I stopped bringing people into my house to do it and you know I concentrated more on my running. And that's where Jennifer came in. Do you like then? But you already knew Jennifer years ago, did you? I know Jennifer since I hung around in Cherry okay. Street. I would know her family mm-hmm. and um, she lives not far from me. Mm-hmm. So when I moved out to Ballyferma, my dad had just passed. So I didn't move into the house till six weeks later. Okay. Um, and 
I didn't know anyone. My brother lived around the corner. I was grieving and I was isolating myself and I was at there. My dad died and the week of my dad's death, I finished a 10 year relationship um, with Ella's dad. So I was kind of all over the place. Didn't know anyone. Isolated myself in the house. I felt suicidal. I actually cut my wrists. Um, I thought my brother's a medic in the army. I actually told him that I put my hand in the sink and the knife went up and, um, you know, so his wife told me that her uncle was running in a running club and she drove me up then. And from then on, I started back with the running and that was over three years ago. And I was coaching up there for two years. I'd done the Athletics Ireland coaching courses with them and um, I just grew a passion for it. And meeting the people that I've met through it. What does it do to you? Like what, oh, like, like from the outside of looking in going, ah, it's just running. It's not just running. For me, it's a sense of freedom. It's taking life at your own pace. It's shown you, well, shown me that I'm strong, that no matter what distance I put in my head that I can achieve. And by doing them distances, it's given me mental strength. You know, not just physical strength, but mental strength to be able to deal with things in life. Sometimes I will have a problem and I'll just throw on the runners and I'll get out and run and I feel like I can deal with my problems better through the running. Um, Don't get me wrong, the running can be tough at times. Mm. I'm not saying like running is easy all the time, but the rewards and the benefits you get from it far outweighs the struggles that can occur. Um, And through running, like, it has built Ella into such a strong-minded child. I've met the most amazing people, i.e. Rosie and Jennifer. Um, I have became my best friends. I've done my first marathon for Rosie. Um, we've went to every one of Rosie's races because how could you not love that kid? <laughs> and Warrenella are as thick as tears. Like <laughs> she's just such a character, and like me and Jennifer would talk all the time, and we'd build each other up, and you know, she get out and support me on my races, on my runs, and when she's training or doing her runs, I'll get out and support her, and. I just have met people that never in your wildest dreams that you think that you would meet through running. Mm-hmm. I've met the most amazing friends um, who are like family. Mm-hmm. And like running is the gift that keeps on giving mm-hmm. for me. Um, through running, I've met people that... Lots of giggling going on in the background. So apologies <laughs> if you can hear. There's so much giggling going on in the background. Like, I, I can only imagine what they're doing, but yeah, lots of giggling going on. Go on, sorry, tell me. It has introduced me to people that are involved in the spiritual aspect of things. 
and that's down on Port Marnock Beach. Mm. Um, the likes you have Paddy Douglas that's doing the Wim Hof. You have Shawnee, mindful, mind yourself. You have Kelly, and that's doing the Reiki. Uh, you have me buddies, J.O. and Josh Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> That are just so inspiring mm-hmm. and there's just so many people to mention, but you know, they don't judge anyone. <laughs> they are showing people a better quality of life through running, through yoga, through breathing, through swimming in the ocean. You know, um, I've ran with the lads from inner city who I put up there on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. I've ran with Trotters Running Club, who helped me and Ella immensely through the pandemic and supported Ella when she done her a running challenge where she ran every day in January. I've ran with Kandalkan Flyers, who are in another unbelievable club, and Cherry Orchard. You know, Kenna, he started me off on my running, running journey. Um, so all these amazing clubs I'm grateful for um, all these people on Port Manic. if I forgot anyone please don't kill me <laughs> um, tell me about because um, I think we probably have about 10 minutes left before <laughs> these two pull down the stairs tell me about that you're involved with something with, I think Jerry Redmond about giving back and um, the governor asking you to do things and so I um coach people in recovery okay. through the running mm. where Hope on Buckingham Street mm. um, where Irene and Joe are amazing they help people in recovery homelessness so many different um, things across the board um, and for recovery month and they got me in last year as well and now I'm there permanent and um, I was coaching the girls and we went up along the canals and bumped into, she was a chief at the time in the Docus. And she seen me and she was like, oh my God, Ruth, you look amazing and what are you doing? So we were talking for a few minutes and Irene was there and she was telling her and um, um, she was like, I need to get you in. I have something for you down the pipeline. And we have a male that does it in the mails. And I was like, yeah, Jerry Redmond, I know. And she was like, oh my God, you know. So I had done a course in the prison with a woman called Adrian Hayes, Steps to Excellence. And mm-hmm. she um, facilitated quite a few different courses in the prison that I partook in. And it's all positivity and you know, learning to deal with certain aspects in life. So she put me on to Adrian and Northside Partnership. And there's a place called Get The, it's called Get The Message Out. Mm-hmm. So we done an online event where Jer spoke and I spoke. And it's about in- intimidation, violence, drugs, um, to try and hit people before they get to that point where they end up in prison. And then you had Brandon and Minty, he's skateboarder. Brandon does Dublin homelessness. Yeah. So they're all ambassadors as well for it. 
Um, so it's basically, it's new and it's helping people to get that message out there. And like you had, uh, Wayne Hart get on a podcast. Mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the podcast. You can. <laughs> Talking bollocks. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I um, like the boys. I like what they do. Yeah. So you had him as well get out and speak for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so many different people that are involved in it. John Connors and it's amazing because I've already had people approach me on how to get help, how to change their life, um, how to get out of addiction. And the feedback from doing it was unreal. And that was, I was so nervous doing it. But my whole thing is, if it can even reach one person mm-hmm. and help one person, and then it can have that ripple effect where that one person goes and helps someone else, mm. you know, and gradually the next generation, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a great, um, it's a great cause, and you know, Jared does amazing work. Mm. He really does. So, the governor had asked me, um. Would I be up for doing things in the prison? And I said, yeah. And then when I was with you the other day, uh, when I done the Hope Run for, for Recovery, mm-hmm. um, which in our city helped us out massively with that. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Kelly mm-hmm. after it. I actually met an officer there and she's chief. And she asked me, could I come in and, and do things as well? And I had mm. told her and she said, I know Governor Kelleher had already spoke to me about you and like not many women stay on the path, you know, mm. they're constantly, it's a revolving door, you know, so we need someone to be a voice for the women. Um, and I said, yeah, of course, uh, I'll definitely do that. You're changing the world. You really are. Do you know Start that? Start with changing yourself first. Mm-hmm. And you have. But um, for a long time, and I said this to you earlier, I used to say prison saved me. But as it was pointed out to me, I used this as tools and I saved me. Um, it's personal choice. If you want to stay in that environment, you know, you have to control. It's, it's up to you to change that. And I've so many people guide me along the way where it's family. Um, my brother would be a great um, role model to me and he would always push me in the right direction. And then Ashlyn, like through the spiritual path, my cousin, um, my daughter, Courtney, you know. Tell me about Courtney, what is she doing now? Very proud. Yeah, Courtney is in our third year in midwifery. Where? In Trinity College. Do you know what uh, I mean? It shows you that a child coming from addiction can be anything they want. Mm-hmm. Um, she's my best friend. I have an amazing race relationship with Courtney. Um, you know, I had a lot of guilt around Courtney. 
you know, putting her through certain things in life. And yet, you know, she'll send you the odd text and she'll say, you know, I'm so proud of me. Um, because at first she was angry with me. She was like, I have to build that trust back up with you. You know, you have to prove to me. And then you would get the odd dig of, uh, you left me and went to prison. You know, and I'd say, but I'm here now. Um, it took time to build that back. Cause she would have been my number one for so long. Me and her for years together on her own. Um, she's, oh, she's just the most unbelievable kid. Well, she's a woman now. She's not a kid. I know. Yeah, we fight like cats and dogs <laughs> sometimes, but, um, like she's on the spiritual journey as well. Um, she has went to different um, things with me. She went to um, Jasmine's forest ceremony and um, where there was Reiki and Shakti dancing. And, you know, that's another powerful woman that guides me as well. You know, there's so many of them. Um, that I'm grateful that have came into my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Anyway. Do, do you feel that you're blessed now? Would you say that? Is that a word you use in your life? Don't get me wrong. I do have bad days, but I've learned to embrace them more and accept that it's normal to have bad days. It's not a bad life. I am blessed. I have a roof over my head. I have family. I have friends. I have food in my press. I have air to breathe. You know, I'm just, I'm grateful for all of that. Like the material things don't matter. Mm. You know, like, and the last few months, I've done a lot of healing, a lot of work on myself that needed to be done because I locked everything away in a box. And I was like, I don't have to deal with that. But I did. Um, And I've shocked myself at how strong I am. Because like one day in May, I decided I was suffering really bad with my mental health. And I decided that fuck this, I'm going to do 60K to show me how mm. strong I actually am. And my friend Hugo decided the day before, like, I'm going to do that with you. And another lad cycled with us. And I went out and done it. And it just showed me that no matter what roadblock comes in my life, I can go around it. Mm. I can go over it. I can go under it. And you go know, through it. Yeah. You, can go, you could go through it. That it's not going to stop me mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, I can get through no matter what. And, and that's what that run done for me. And on that note, with all the noise in the background <laughs> and everything going on, um, we leave it there. Okay, thank you so much. Ruth, I wasn't expecting this because we didn't have, it just, I was told that I needed to talk to you and then you were told you should talk to Rebecca. Um, So I wasn't expecting that. Um, There's so much that I couldn't say. mm. Um, I just, 
don't want to offend others. Mm. Uh, but look, it, it wasn't it as well. My even though it was part of my journey and part of my story, it was their story as well. So mm. I couldn't delve into that. Yeah. No, and that's okay because yeah. what you've done here today, as you said, if we can help one person with this and you've opened my eyes to a lot of things and to my talk and my, my what I think about certain people or, you know, people's addictions and stuff like that. So thank you because you've educated me. Yeah. Addiction suppresses a lot for people. It changes behaviours, traits, you know, and gradually you learn to deal with that, whether it's through NA, spirituality, mm. running, you know, through God. Mm. You know, people use all different avenues to deal with them. Mm. But people do recover. Mm. You know, it is possible to change your life. Mm. There's so many prime examples of that. Absolutely. And you're the perfect example of it, in my opinion. Thank you. So thanks so much for sitting with me. Thank you. Thanks. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.